Hello, friends, and welcome to the show. This episode of HR Oxygen is brought to you by Boss Builders University. If you're looking to train up your non-managers and individual contributors, please check out our newest offering, The Art of Being a Great Teammate. In this 12-month program, I'll be taking your employees through this program, which includes topics on communication, managing your boss, getting results without authority, customer service, problem solving, decision making, and much more. The sessions are virtual, running one hour each month, and I'll do it using our popular sketch and seminar graphic art and storytelling format. No boring PowerPoints, stale stories, and outdated tools and techniques. The sessions are engaging and provide tactical, practical tools that can be used immediately after the sessions. You can either have your entire organization take our program, or if you have just a few folks, join one of our open enrollment cohorts that start every other month. For more information, visit us online at thebossbuilders.com. Is it possible to create the workplace culture that you crave? Well, according to today's guest, Ann Jacoby, absolutely. And this is a workplace that is full of creativity. Ann is an accomplished public speaker, author, entrepreneur, and CEO of Spring Street Solutions, which is dedicated to cultivating creativity at work. She offers practical tools for business leaders to build the culture they crave. By blending her background in the arts and business know-how, Anne addresses how cultivating creativity is essential in the new world of work. We spent a lot of time talking about what that looks like, more importantly, how to achieve it. She's got the answers, I certainly don't, so let's let her do the talking. You know what time it is. Let's make sure that seatbelt is buckled low and across your hips, that personal item tucked under the seat in front of you. Time for us to take off. Should the cabin lose pressure, oxygen masks will drop from the overhead area. Please place the mask over your own mouth and nose before assisting others. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the HR Oxygen Podcast, the show focused on the overworked, overwhelmed, and underappreciated HR professional. And now, here is the host of our show, the boss builder, Mac Monroe. And Jacoby, welcome to the show. It's great to be here, Mac. Thanks for having me. Good to chat with you this morning. We were just talking before we went on about the cold front that's sweeping through Southern California. It's <laughs> devastating. What did you say the temperature was this morning? Oh, goodness. It must be down to 62 degrees. I mean. Yeah, that's uh, that's <laughs> awful. I mean, uh, did you bring all your pets inside? I mean, good Lord. You don't want them out there in the snow, right? Covered the plants. I know. <laughs> Yeah, well, I know. Having grown up there, I, we always got, we were the butt of the jokes, right? And then, then when you go somewhere where it's legitimately cold, then you realize, wow, we really did have it made in that weather. So It's all relative, my friend. <laughs> I suppose. Well, the topic today is how to create the workplace culture that you crave. And this is an area that you are digging deep into. And so that's why I think it's going to be really important for us. And so before we get into all the questions I have for you, I was hoping, Ann, you could tell us about your journey. Tell us how you get started and what you're working on today. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, my first love was the performing arts, and I really thought I would do that for a lifetime career. Uh, I went to the high school for the arts here in Los Angeles. I studied theater at Northwestern. I performed professionally in Chicago and New York and, you know, thought I would make a lifetime of it. And I made a big pivot to corporate life. I joined a startup in the early 2000s. And it was really in that environment where I had an aha that creativity is just as essential in business as it is in the performing arts. And so now kind of flash forward, right, 20 plus years, 
Uh, I help other leaders and organizations to inspire that kind of creative thinking within their business cultures to build this culture that you crave. Okay. So that assumes then that companies are looking for a creative work culture. Has that been your experience that that's what people are looking for? You know, it's interesting. I have yet to find a client that doesn't want to innovate. <laughs> and that doesn't mean that they are in the business of inventing the next iPhone. Absolutely not. But most companies want to continuously improve. And that kind of iterative improvement requires innovation. It requires creative thinking. And so, you know, whether you call it creativity on its face or whether you connect more to the principle of innovation, um, you know, building a connected environment where people feel connected personally and where they feel included. So it's really those three principles, connection, innovation and inclusion that I define as a creativity culture. Okay. Could you define those terms for us? Because when I hear innovation and creativity, aren't those just words you could switch around or are they very different? Yeah. I mean, I think about creativity and really inspiring that. And at its core, you start with connection, right? You really need to start with this human to human. I see you. I, I can empathize with you. I understand you. And that takes real effort and intention. So that's kind of the, the first starting point. Um, innovation is, is a skill to be honed. And I think that creates an environment where people feel they're you know, they're safe to bring their creative ideas. They feel supported to do it. There's uh, an environment where they experiment a lot within the workplace. Uh, and then finally, inclusion, which is so critical today to feel a sense of belonging at work, a sense that your opinion matters, that you're invited to, uh, to actually share your point of view. And that is also a skill that really can be cultivated. What tends to make a company take this on as a priority? Because it seems like if you're currently experience success, you know, why rock the boat? Are you finding that there's some key drivers for that? Yeah. And I, I think if we zoom out a little bit, I think the workplace is experiencing a real revolution right now. Um, you know, Corn Ferry predicts that by 2030, 85 million jobs could go unfilled. Uh, we see these staggering statistics around the great resignation. I think we hit a 50 year low in jobless reports. Um, you know, we're really seeing that the labor market is tighter than it ever has been. It's very hard to hire and retain and develop top talent. And so I think that is the driving force for wanting to change or at least wanting to continue the good stuff that companies are already doing. Um, and, and for me, it doesn't mean throwing a lot more perks at people. It's not about, you know, obviously you need a competitive salary and that's important. That's table stakes. But this is really about a mindset and creating a culture that attracts the kind of workers and talent that you want within your organization. And for me, that that lends itself to a creativity culture. Well, it's interesting that your background in performing arts, what did you do in performing arts? I was a singer, actor, dancer. I did some voiceover work. Uh, I did a range of different things. And I think that ability to pivot and reinvent yourself within that space, that creative space, really was the foundation for the mindset that I apply in the business world. Uh, you know, it takes a lot of effort to bring a product or service to market. You have to experiment a lot. You have to be comfortable being uncomfortable. <laughs> so I try to bring those principles to the workplace with the clients that I, I partner with now. And, and it seems to be striking a chord. Do you find that there's some industries and companies that 
I mean, I, I don't know how creative you could get if you were a tax auditor. You know, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, there seems like some of those things would not factor in, but you know, are there some that are more open to this than others in your experience? You know, it's fascinating. And I'm so glad that you mentioned, uh, you know, tax auditor or, you know, people think, oh, I'm not creative. I'm in finance or I'm not creative. I'm in legal. What is a negotiation if not being creative? Um, you have to think creatively when you're solving problems. And a lot of those functions that have a lot of process around them, we're not saying throw out the process. We're saying, how can we incrementally improve that process? How might we invite technology to automate certain parts of the process so that the, the employees can actually do more strategic level work. So all of that stuff factors in um, regardless of what function uh, people are, are sitting in. Mm -hmm. Do you find that there's some industries that tend to reach out to you more than others? Yeah, I do work with a, a, a number of tech entertainment companies um, that, that tends to be a, a big focus, but I work with healthcare organizations, aerospace organizations, um, and really a wide range of sizes. You know, I really came into this thinking, oh, this is really going to be the startups, right? The, the companies that are getting their cultures defined, they're getting off the ground, they're hiring a lot of people. Uh, and I certainly do work with those companies, um, but I also work with Fortune 100 companies that are going through cultural transformation and really need someone to help partner with them to launch new programs, new initiatives to continuously improve their culture. So I see a range of, of different types of clients faced with this issue. Do you find also that, and I'm just curious about this, because when I was a younger man, I just had all these grand designs on how I would change the world. But as I got older, you know, I just started to realize that really there's not a whole lot of things I can make a real difference on. I mean, is it really the thing where a younger company might be open to this? Or do you find that, you know, you might find people my age, and so I'll date myself, I am in my late 20s, actually. <laughs> actually, I'm in my late 50s, to be honest with you. Oh. Or I don't know whether that would be something at my stage that I might be interested in. What is the business case for it? Oh, goodness. Well, if you look at the statistics, I think half, about half of the people who are looking for new jobs are leaving because of the culture. So there is a big emphasis on, is this the workplace culture that supports me, where I feel like I can bring my creative ideas to work, where I have a sense of well-being? So regardless of your age, you know, we have five generations in the workforce right now. Uh, I think this is more about mindset. And if you're in your 50s or 70s or 80s and working and have the mindset that things can improve, that we're going to resist the status quo, I mean, I think you're right. Folks in leadership positions, I'll, I'll paint the picture there, less to do with age, but those in leadership positions have been put there because of past experience, because of past successes. And so I think there is a almost a fallback on, well, this worked in the past, so I'm going to keep doing that, where actually the opposite is necessary, where we need to free our minds of what's been done before and invite new thinking. And that's really what's going to evolve the culture and evolve the business to, to perform. Do you find that companies reach out to you when they are like really stuck? Or do you find that some are trying to preemptively work on this? Yeah, uh, it's, it's a mix of both, to be honest. And I think, you know, nowadays, again, because the labor market is so tight, um, folks are looking for ways of, of moving into the future in a productive way of getting the best talent, um, building a new workforce, whether it's a hybrid work environment, 
some companies are remote first where they don't even have an office. So how do you think through those issues and how do you anticipate what could be some of the challenges and what are really some of the benefits to that kind of environment? And so I really help leaders think through those issues and construct a workplace that works for everybody. And it's certainly not perfect right out of the gate, but it's got to be a willingness to try and experiment and to learn and to listen. I'd say that that's a a big thing that we do is just listen to employees and, and what they need. Has your business, how did it handle when COVID hit? Because I know, I can only say for mine, you know, everything went from in-person to virtual, but, but really what we do is we work with managers. I mean, that's, that need, I don't think ever really changes, but it seems like looking at, you know, putting creativity in a culture, that might be something that might be a nice to have or a fun to have. Did you find that during the pandemic, people took an interest in that or how did the COVID impact your business? Yeah. So I, I launched my business officially in February, 2020. So oh, that was perfect timing, wasn't it? <laughs> you know, I, of course, Mac and you'll, you'll get a kick out of this. My whole vision was these in-person workshops where people are collaborating together and getting more creative. Well, you know, that was thrown out the window when, when no one could come into the office. Uh, but interestingly, I think my business thrived because it raised the stakes in terms of how important culture really is. And we had to figure out this new way of working together in a virtual setting, in a remote setting. And now, now that many companies are returning to office, we're at another inflection point where what is this going to look like going forward? How are we going to you know, work with folks who choose to work remotely a lot of the time and some come into the office? And how do we manage all of the complexity within our workforce? So um, yes, I, I certainly did pivot in the moment, but I think if anything, it really had a positive impact on, on the business. Yeah, that was a lot of what I had read that, you know, with the virtual environment that companies felt like their cultures were, were suffering. In other yeah. words, we weren't around. And so, I mean, I'm, what I'm curious about is, you know, do you have kind of a standard definition of what a culture is? Mm. Because it seems like if you misinterpret that, you're going to mistake culture is something that maybe it's not. How would you define that? Yeah, I really see culture as the language and the set of social and behavioral norms that a group of people adopt. Mm -hmm. So it's really the day-to-day way of showing up for each other. You might have a culture that's really intense. And if you don't get an email back from someone within 10 minutes, the building is burning down, right? And that could Mm -hmm. be your culture because those are the behavioral norms that are adopted. Um, you know, I often, I chat with folks about leaders who say, oh, go ahead and take time off. Your well-being is important. And yet if they're working on nights and weekends and taking their laptop with them on vacation, that is the culture. And those are the behavioral expectations that have been set. It doesn't matter what you say. Um, I mean, it, it does matter, but, um, but people really look to leaders for those social cues and that creates a culture. So, you know, I spend a lot of time working with leaders on dissecting kind of what are these different strands of culture, things like, you know, what we talk about, what's important to us, what are we rewarding in the workplace? Uh, You know, what's our environment like? What, um, you know, really what's rewarded at the core? And that's what gets perpetuated, (laughs) continues. Yeah. So I guess, I mean, I have experienced, you know, having do what I do. I mean, I see cultures. I'm only there to do stuff and then I leave. But personally, I've worked in some really, really shitty cultures. Yeah. And the thing is, is that 
sometimes I felt like I was the only one that was unhappy. Everybody else either was just sucking it up or they really genuinely enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the, I guess that's the key question. What drives us? Is it really driven from the top or is it leaders at the top start to sense there's going to be a mutiny if they don't change things? I and mean, what is the key driver for somebody saying, hey, we got to do this besides just com- competition in the marketplace? I think competition in the marketplace is certainly a big force. Uh, And I think a lot of times, especially with public companies, you know, the board is really looking for improvement around culture. They're viewing this as a, as an asset within the organization, as much as what is revenue looking like, you know, how healthy is the culture? Is this sustainable? So as we think about ESG reporting, um, how important it is to have an engaged workforce and that that's really going to have an immediate impact on your profitability, on your productivity across the, the office um, or virtual office. You know, these things really do matter to the bottom line. And so I think that is a compelling business case for leaders who may not necessarily want, you know, a kumbaya kind of environment, but realize that there's a real impact on the bottom line if we miss the mark here. Why do you think some leaders assume that if we're going to work on our culture, it will be kumbaya? Why does it get that that really disgusting kind of touchy-feely attitude towards it when, in fact, it has nothing to do with kumbaya? Where does this come from? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, I think a lot about even the word creativity, where people think, oh, my goodness, you know, are we talking about no structure? You know, does this just mean that people get to do whatever they want and there's no accountability? And actually, it's the opposite. We're talking about building creative constraints so that people have containers to play in and they have real opportunity to experiment and innovate and learn from it. And that builds a muscle of continuous improvement that I think all companies are after. Uh, You know, if you look at the data, I think 6% of leaders acknowledge that belonging is the number one driver of employee satisfaction. And yet for years, pre-pandemic and post-pandemic, belonging has been the number one factor of employee well-being and and happiness. And so if we put that into perspective and we know how important belonging is, we have to start building the processes, the behaviors, the mindsets that cultivate that kind of environment so that people have a sense of Hey, it's it's safe for me to be here. I'm I'm welcomed. My ideas are welcomed. I might not get it right the first time, and that's okay. I'm not going to be punished. Uh, and that does take a lot of intention and practice. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking back in my time in the military because during that last few years is when I had finished my master's, and I was really excited about what was my next next career would be. And there's a book I read. It was called the uh, the Fifth Discipline by a guy named Peter Senge, and he talked about a learning organization and I had taken a course at Chapman University, which I'm sure you're familiar with, right? Yeah. yeah that's, that's another big connection I have back to California. But yeah. uh, but I thought, you know, this idea of the learning organization where there's a comfort level in people trying new things, I thought this is just phenomenal, having worked in a very command and control environment. And even in that last few years, the, at least the Navy had been working on process improvement and total quality. And I remember thinking, wow, this is this is shockingly innovative. This is great. And yet it was met in many cases with silly things like, you know, well, what happens when a ship catches on fire? Are we going to form a process action team to plan out how to put it out? Like, don't be a dumbass, right? <laughs> you, you know, that's not what we're going to do. But that is the resistance that is met. And that's why 
I don't think the culture of the military will ever change, but in a sense, I'm not sure that it needs to because there's a very different mission. We're not selling software. You're basically, you know, you're the protection force. And so, I mean, I guess, are there just some cultures that probably don't need to start thinking about creativity? You know, I think there are certainly ones that could benefit more from it. Um, And if you think of uh, very high risk situations where process is kind of over-indexed because you need to follow a very tight process, you're absolutely right. You don't want to innovate a lot with a process that needs to be sound out of, you know, health, well-being, safety um, of the client or the customer um, or the patient. So, yeah, I definitely think there are certain industries and spaces where it probably resonates more. Um, you know, I just think in today's day and age, people have a lot of choice. And if people are consciously choosing to work in a really tough culture environment, let that be a choice, um, you know, no judgment. Um, but when people have a lot of options, it's really incumbent on the HR leader and the, the leadership team to say, hey, what do we want to be? How do we want to define our culture? Let's do this with intention. Uh, I think, again, there's a kind of a, a predisposition, predisposition to thinking, oh, culture will take care of itself, where yes, culture will define itself, but why not choose the kind of culture that you want and be intentional about it and really work toward that kind of culture? Uh, it's possible. And it, it does take a lot of effort, but it's so much better than having a toxic culture where performance is flat, people are leaving. Um, that's kind of the, you know, the ramification of a bad culture. What would your response be to somebody who says, you know, it would be great to work with you, Anne, but right now we're still in a flux. We don't know if we're going to be virtual, hybrid, back in the office. Is this something that they should wait until they make that decision? Or would you consider even starting to do this work even before they decided that? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's so much to be learned through that process of design thinking and figuring out what kind of environment do we want to build? And whether it's someone like me or another kind of partner, um, you know, I do think it really does help to think strategically about um, how are we going to gather input from the organization? How are we going to listen to our employees? Um, And I'm not just talking about an annual survey that you send out, although those are important. That's just one snapshot in time. I think this needs to be in continuous effort and through different forums, you know, some anonymous forums, some listening circles, uh, better training like you do around manager one-on-ones, uh, just really thinking clearly about getting those those pieces of feedback, really important. Okay. So I'm going to ask you a question, and I don't want you to give away your secrets, <laughs> but, but let's just say I'm listening to this today and I think, you know what, maybe we ought to look at our culture. What would your process look like? Again, I don't want you giving away all your secrets because I want people to actually reach out to you. But (laughs) can you kind of give us an idea of what we would expect? Yeah. You know, I think it it would start with a a lot of listening, you know, a lot of understanding and assessment of the current state of the culture. Um, You can do that in a number of different ways um, with a leadership team, with the whole organization, um, you know, in, in different focus groups. So really getting a clear baseline of, okay, where are we starting from? Um, and then I always recommend starting with the the purpose, the vision, the mission, and values of the organization. Ideally, those are woven throughout the employee life cycle. So people are clear about them. They have stories to tell about how values are lived in action. 
Um, it comes up in performance conversations. It comes up in decision making about who you promote. Really thinking about those principles throughout the the employee experience. So that that would certainly be part of it. And then programmatically thinking about how can we impact culture in a way that moves in the direction we want to go in. So uh, you know if we do see gaps where there could be improvement, uh, different pockets of the organization that we really address those and and build a lot, again, back to belonging, build a sense of belonging that people are consciously building that together. So there would be a lot of input from different stakeholders across the company. Well, I'm sure the people who are listening today, they tend to be HR professionals. So if, if right now they're listening and you had a word of advice for them on how to start this moving forward, what would that word be to them? Listen. So important, I think, to to be open-minded to what people need, um, what they're missing, what they're after, why they work where they work, <laughs> you know, really understanding the heart of what your organizational purpose is, um, the values, the stories that really ignite not only creativity, but uh, a sense of purpose to to your core mission of your organization. So that listening, I think, is the the one word that sticks with me. Um, and if you know, if HR leaders listening here don't have a lot of budget to use, you know, I think uh, listening to podcasts like yours, Mac, you know, getting insights from thought leaders, um, you know, Brene Brown, Adam Grant, um, Amy Edmondson, are just a few of the the great thought leaders that I I regularly listen to. And I also created. Uh, a self-service guide where HR leaders can download materials and really get a packet of exercises and templates and tools and questions to ask to really do it on your own. And that's available on my website for those who don't have a lot of budget, but really are focused on on culture. That's great. And then are there any really key metrics that an HR professional could use to help build that case aside from maybe turnover? Uh, are there are other metrics that are useful? Yeah, I think a lot about these lagging and leading indicators of a strong culture. And I do think, you know, attrition is is certainly one to watch. I also think just looking at business results, uh, it can can reveal a lot. Uh, when you see certain pockets either not performing well or, um, you know, certain, you know, grumbling stories of, of you know, dissatisfaction, uh, I think we need to be attuned to those for sure. Uh, and I really view this as a constellation of different KPIs and metrics to track. Uh, there's not going to be one single source that will say, this is what your culture is. This is how you need to fix it. It really needs to be, uh, again, a constellation and a continuous effort to to track the heartbeat of your company culture. Well, it seems to me this is something that you shouldn't take on without some help. <laughs> so, so on that very important note then, Anne, if somebody's listening today and says, you know what, this is something we got to start working on. Hey, what's the best way for us to reach out to you? And how do we access that resource that you mentioned? How do we get a hold of you? Absolutely. You can check out my website, which is springstreetco.com. I have creativity culture guides posted there. Uh, you can send me an email, Anne, at springstreetco.com. I also have annjacoby.com as a website option. You can follow me on LinkedIn or on Instagram, which is anjacoby.author. So any of those spots, would love to connect. Uh, I'm all about connections, so I would love to hear from, from listeners. Excellent. Well, if you're listening today, please reach out to Anne Jacoby. This is a good way for you to, again, 
demonstrate your skills as you help to build the ideal culture. Like I said, the workplace culture that you crave. Mine is the one where I don't have to work anymore. I guess I have to wait for that one (laughs) down in the future, right? Hey, Anne, thank you so much for spending time with us today. Thank you, Mac. It was a real pleasure. Well, thanks for taking the time to listen to another episode of the HR Oxygen Podcast. I hope you enjoy listening to these as much as I enjoy making them. I've learned so much from the guests we've had on the show over the past few years, and I hope that you will continue to listen to us regularly. If you are a subscriber on any podcast app or channel, would you do us a favor and take a moment and leave us a review? We would really, really appreciate it. Also, if you have the time, check out all the offerings we have on our website, which is thebossbuilders.com. We have every other month a Sherm Credit webinar that we present, as well as a ton of other events, not to mention our Art of the Great Boss and Art of Being a Great Teammate programs. More information on that site today. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen, and we'll look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Oh, by the way, you may want to unbuckle that seatbelt. I think we just arrived at the gate. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the HR Oxygen Podcast. We hope you found something today that will relieve your stress, feed your soul, and pump you up to face another day. At Boss Builders, we want to let you know that we appreciate the hard work you do every day as an HR professional. And as a reminder, always make sure to adjust your own oxygen mask before attempting to help those around you. Be well.